Well, don't you just love Christmas music, and uh, don't you just love the way that our choir and orchestra put that together for us. I'm so looking forward to this Advent season. It is such a wonderful time of the year, and we're going to do something a bit different, as you'll see in a moment, for this Advent series. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation, Revelation 19, and you'll find that on page 1039. Uh, While you're doing that, I've got a question for you. Where do you think that the loudest crowd noise at a college football game was ever recorded? (laughs) Well, in 2005, at Death Valley, Clemson's Death Valley Stadium, at the end of the game against the Miami Hurricanes, the crowd noise reached a shattering 126.6 decibel level. Now, having said that, I'm afraid my Clemson Tigers are a little quieter today. (laughs) And if you search around on Google long enough, I'm sure you'll find other universities claiming that same ESPN accolade. However, none of that really matters because here's where I'm going with this. The loudest college football crowd noise ever will not compare to the crowd noise that we will experience on the day that the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth. This is how the Apostle John describes it in the vision that God gave to him of that day. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. There is a day coming that is a day unlike any other day. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You know, we can't imagine exactly how good it is going to be. But Revelation at least gives to us a hint of what is to come. And let me just promise you, it will be worth cheering about. Revelation 19, we're going to begin reading In verse 1, after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke From her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. 
It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I'll stop there this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the future uh, that is not just a wished-for future, but is indeed a promised future. And so I pray that you would give to us the hope that all of us need to live well in this life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, it may surprise you that during Advent this season, we're looking forward to the second Advent, the second coming of Christ, rather than looking backward at the first coming or first Advent of Christ. But Advent really does refer to both the first and the second comings of Christ. And because we live in between the first and second comings of Christ, we're going to look at what is to come when Christ returns. And here's what we're going to do. Here's kind of the, the plan for these four Sundays. Today, we're looking at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it will be quite an event. Then next week, we're going to look at what our bodies, what we will be like when Christ returns. The following week, what this world will be like when Christ makes it new. And then finally, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're going to look at what we will be like on this new earth. You know, what we will do throughout eternity. And let me just tell you, I am so excited about where we're going uh, this Advent series because there is so much that is so good uh, that is to come. And so what I want to do is just kind of jump right in. In 2002, I traveled to Ukraine for the first time to teach uh, pastors there who were coming uh, to Kiev to, to study, and they were coming from all parts of that part of the world. My dad joined me on that trip, and at the end of the week, after I finished teaching for the week, uh, we took an overnight train. Now, this was a Cold War era train from Kiev to Moscow. And let me tell you, it included Russian soldiers uh, with rifles. And they were, at times, intimidating. But when we got to Moscow that first day, what did we go see? What's the first thing you want to see in Moscow? Well, Red Square. And I remember two things about that day. The first was how awestruck my dad was to walk onto Red Square. And he said something like, I never thought I would get here. You know, as a kid, of course, growing up in World War II, he, he looked at that. He knew something about that history. That's the first thing I remember. The second thing, though, is much more important, and that is that you've got two really significant attractions on Red Square. One is Lenin's tomb. And the other is one of the most beautiful cathedrals in all of the world, St. Basil's Cathedral. And those two attractions represent such opposing worldviews. I mean, you've got Lenin, whose communism was a kind of soul-crushing movement that plundered systematically and intimidated the peoples of Europe and Asia as he and others were seeking to bring about a so-called new world order that would consign the old world order, including the church with its vision of eternity, uh, to the ash heap of history. So you've got that where there's no hope for anything 
beyond this life. And then you've got St. Basil's Cathedral with its spires and its steeples pointing to heaven, reminding us that there is more to this life than this life. Those steeples, those spires point us to a transcendence that will overcome even the trauma and the agony of this life. You know, I don't really know how anyone lives without hope. And I want to make it clear, we we have to do this kind of time and time again because our, our view of hope in this life is kind of a wishful thinking, but that's not at all what I mean by hope. Uh, There's a wonderful book called All Things New that uh, has been really helpful to me as I prepared for this message. It describes hope in this way. It is the confident anticipation that goodness is coming. Now, biblically, of course, that means there is a confident anticipation that a goodness that this world has never fully known is coming for all who know Jesus Christ. And, and, And so think about it for just a minute. You know, if we're going to understand just how good it's going to be, we've got to understand how bad it can be now on this earth. And and, and we have to ask the question, how do people live without hope? And, And so how does the person with chronic depression or anxiety get through the night without some hope that there is a better day ahead for them? How does the family friend who lost both her legs in a somewhat routine surgery that went terribly wrong. How does she cope with that? How about our brothers and sisters around the world who know nothing but persecution simply because they name the name of Jesus Christ? Or or what about our Ukrainian brothers and sisters whose world has been turned upside down and may not know in this lifetime any kind of real normalcy? And what about our friends whose daughter went hiking in India and disappeared, never to be found again. No matter how many times her father traveled to India desperately trying to find her. And what about the family who woke up to find that their three-month-old infant had died in the night? Two weeks ago, early in the morning, Judy and I received a message from some of our dearest friends in the world, and uh, their three-month-old grandson had died in the middle of the night. Nobody knows why. There's nothing wrong. He was just gone. This is the grandson they had prayed through a long time at the NICU because he was born prematurely. This is the grandson who looks just like their son, the little boy's father. And this is the grandson that that father had such plans for, to teach him how to hunt and to fish and to become a man and to to walk with God. You know, where does that father find hope in this life? How does he cope with what has happened trying to look at the bright side is just not going to get him through these dark days. And so where is the hope that can overcome his heartache? Where is the hope that can overcome all of the heartache of the world? How is God going to make it all right? How is he going to redeem all the suffering and the loss in this world and in your life? Well, that's what this Advent series is about. And it begins with a meal. 
a wedding feast. And that meal, a meal like no other that we have ever experienced, will celebrate two things. And here's where I'm going this morning. Here are the two points I want to make. First, everything bad in this life will come to an end. Everything bad in this life will come to an end. And second, everything good in this life will become even better. In verses 1 and 2, we see how everything bad in this life is going to come to an end. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Now, the great prostitute is the same as Babylon the Great in Revelation 18, and it's the symbol in John's vision of what is to happen in the future, the symbol of all that is worldly in this life, all that tempts people to do immoral and ultimately destructive things by making those destructive things seem so very attractive to us. All in this life that draws us away from God is represented by Babylon the great or the great prostitute. But it also symbolizes governments and peoples and and evil forces in this world that persecute those who profess the name of Jesus Christ. If you travel the world today, you will know that one of the most dangerous things for many people in this world, even today, is to profess the name of Jesus Christ, to openly worship our Savior. All that tempts people in this life, all that persecutes Christians in this world, will come to an end, a permanent end, as we see in verse 3. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. She is done never to rise again, never to cause harm on this earth again. Now, this passage fills me with such relief and and, and such hope. Do you have any idea how many countries are actively persecuting Christians today as we sit here right now? I mean, just guess in your mind, how many countries today are actively persecuting our brothers and sisters in Christ? More than 65. More than 65 countries for some, it just means that they're ostracized in their community. For others, it means that uh, they, they have very, very menial type work or can find no work at all. For others, it means imprisonment and torture. For others still, for more than can be counted, are put to death. And that is for one reason, they love Jesus Christ. They love our Savior. Now, that is going to come to an end. Never, ever will they have to fear for their lives again. Human sin, I mean, when you stop to think about it, human sin is not sufficient to explain murder in the name of religion, nor is it sufficient to explain the unspeakable evil of this age. There are powerful, ancient, dark spirits who are now deeply involved in snaring and fueling evil people, making war on holiness and on the human heart. 
be very careful here because of our setting, of course, but we have to know that this great prostitute is the one behind the sex trade uh, in this world with all of its dark corruptions. Revelation 18.3 says that she has made the world drunk with the maddening wine of her adulteries. And again, I'll be very careful, but, but think for just a moment of how many children's lives have been ruined because of the sex trade. And think of how many adults' lives have been ruined because of the same thing. And then think, and here's where the good news comes. Now think of the shout that will go up in the worship of our God when the great prostitute is cast down forever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Everything bad in this life is going to come to an end. Our Savior as he returns will bring it to an end. And no wonder we read in Psalm 16, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Not only will everything bad in this life come to an end, everything good in this life will become even better. I wanted to say gooder, but I know that my English teachers in the congregation might uh, not get me, uh, let me get away with that. And then I really wanted to say we'll become best, because that's ultimately the truth of the matter. But it just sounded better and something we can remember more easily, perhaps. Everything good in this life will become even better. Now, so here's the, here's the good news. I mean, the, the evil has been destroyed, and so the marriage supper of the Lamb can begin. Now we can begin to celebrate in earnest. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, now here's what you need to understand as you try to interpret this, this great event. Throughout the scripture, from beginning to end, salvation is pictured for us as a wonderful love relationship between God and his people. God said to Israel in the Old Testament in the book of Hosea, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And then in Isaiah 25, we get a glimpse of the marriage supper of the Lamb. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, all his peoples, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. When uh, we were in Scotland, we um, were typical broke students, and uh, one anniversary, Judy's father sent us $125. Now, this was over 25 years ago. He sent us that for our anniversary, and he said to us, you have to spend it on yourselves, and you have to do something fun. And so we took that $125, now again, this is 25 plus years ago, and we spent it all on one meal, one dinner out. 
Yes, I'm getting a yes, and, and it was fantastic. Uh, we got a friend to babysit our three kiddos. We drove about 40 minutes west to Lynn Lithgow to a, a place called the Champagne Inn. It is one of the most gorgeous places and one of the most beautiful restaurants you will ever sit in and, and have a meal. And, and to make the, the night so wonderful, it was snowing outside, everything was white, and it was just the two of us. So I'm, I'm with my favorite person in the world, and we have the best meal we have ever, ever had. And, and, and on a night like that, you think, can it possibly get any better than this? Well, let me tell you, the marriage supper of the Lamb will be so much better than that. It will cost a lot more than $125. It would cost the Savior's life, but he did that for us, that we might spend eternity with him. I love the way that we think about that in scripture as every good gift that God gives to us in this world is just simply a foretaste, a preparation for uh, what is to come as we spend eternity with our God. Uh, Paul Tripp put the marriage supper of the Lamb in this way, there we will celebrate our eternal union with the Savior. There we will enjoy the supper that every human being hungers for, whether they know it or not. Because if you are a human being, and this is so important, if you are a human being, the deepest desire of your heart is to be loved unconditionally, to be loved faithfully, to be loved forever. And this supper says, you're at my table because I love you. We had uh, just a wonderful time with uh, our grandchildren and our children uh, over the last few days. And uh, when we were leaving, um, our little five-year-old Abigail, when we told her it was time for us to go, she just wrapped her arms and her legs around me and put her sweet little head on my chest, and she said, please don't go. Now, if you think that doesn't make a grandfather's day. <laughs> I mean, it's just, the, the, the beauty of that is just how unashamedly she just wrapped herself around me and said, please don't go. And the, the point I want to make is when one person, just one person loves you like that, it affects you deeply. And the marriage supper of the Lamb is Jesus wrapping his arms and legs around you and saying, I will never let you go, ever. You're mine. And I bought your wedding dress on a cross years ago because I want to show you a love unlike any love that you have ever known. And so we will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb as his children, not just as guests, but as his bride. A bride that he wants to give a life to that is better than anything we could possibly fully imagine. Everything good in this life is going to become so much better. Uh, the best meal, the best relationship, the best career, the best game of golf, the best pleasure. All that is just preparation for what is to come. And it will be fullness of joy all the time. There will be no mixture of sorrow whatsoever. Alcohol will no longer hold a family in its grip. Abuse 
will no longer tear a family apart. Poverty, gone. Shame, no more. Mental illness, healed. The person who has never known love will know a love that in this life would bring tears of joy. The body that has been broken will be made new. And the father whose dreams for his infant son have been dashed in this life will come alive in the next. Because as we'll see in this Advent series, we who have made ourselves ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb will have new bodies and we will live on a new earth and it will be this earth made new. Everything bad in this earth will be gone. Everything good will be made so much better. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the mind of man, man imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look to that marriage supper of the Lamb, may we know even more fully today just how much you love us. And may we see you, as it were, wrapping your arms and legs around us and saying, I will never let you leave. I will never let you go. I love you. You're mine forever and ever. And Father, for those who have not yet come to know the Savior in a saving way, would you bring that to them today? Would you open their eyes even now to see that they need to turn to you and make themselves ready by trusting in you for salvation and by turning from the old ways of life to a new way of life that can only be found in the one who has the best way of life planned out for us for all eternity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.